Well, welcome to the FBC Global Church Podcast. I'm Scott McManigal, one of the uh, Global Missions Pastors here at FBC. And uh, this episode, I have the privilege of introducing to you uh, someone that uh, is uh, brand new to us uh, that we've just kind of become in contact with and have begun begun working with. Uh, as you all may remember, um, over the last year and a half, two years or so, we've been really looking to the Lord and, and praying for God to lead us into a greater involvement in uh, Native American ministry. And one of the answers to that prayer has been God just bringing us into contact with Gary Hawkins. Uh, Gary is from uh, uh, Oklahoma, uh, outside of Tulsa. And, uh, and I'll let him tell you more about himself and the organization he's with and who he is. So Gary, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, my name is, is, is uh, Gary Hawkins. I am a native. I'm uh, half Cherokee Indian and then uh, three-eighths Creek Indian. And uh, the uh, I've been in ministry for 40 plus years, for about 41 years. And um, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Uh, I had good, good family that we were good people. There were good people, certainly but they just didn't have a Christian background and I wasn't brought up that way. I became a Christian when I was 21 years of age. And um, uh, as most, a lot of Native Americans have a problem with alcohol, I did too. And um, uh, my father did and uh, my brothers. But anyway, we, um, uh, God saved me at the age of 21 years of age. And and uh, I immediately began become introduced to ministry, uh, native ministry in a way of missions. I went out uh, with my had a pastor who uh, loved um, going to do missions, and he's eventually became an evangelist to Native Americans, traveled all over America and to Canada, as well as to India and Mexico, and. Um, but he started me out in Western Oklahoma, and then we went to places like uh, uh, Warm Springs, Oregon, and uh, and Dakotas, and in New Mexico, and places like that. So I've always had a desire um, to reaching out to people, Native people in particular, because of the, the uh, there's so much need for help there. Um, they are. Um, we, uh, I, my wife and I, my wife, Paula, of 48 years, uh, we, we have ministered, we have lived on reservations in Montana, as well as New Mexico, and we've been on a whole host of, uh, reservations, and I've spoken in, there were seven reservations in Montana, and I've ministered on six of them, um, and, we uh, have three children, three grown children, and have nine grandchildren. And uh, we, the Lord has blessed us in that way, and uh, I praise Him for that. But uh, we have uh, the ministry um, started out uh, the Fellowship of Native American Christians. We started out this ministry in respect to we, the north of the 
you know, the Southern Baptist Convention always had uh, a national missionary uh, for the Native Americans. And um, about 10, 11 years ago, 11 years ago, I believe, uh, they, the past, the, the missionary who was serving in that position stepped down and the North American Mission Board decided not to uh, fill that position. And so uh, that was uh, pretty devastating to us. Uh, me, uh, I, me and about five other, four other men were serving as a um, uh, advisory council to that national mis missionary. Then when he left, then certainly we didn't think we have anybody to advise. And so after about a year, they finally told us that they were not going to uh, fill that position. And so then the um, we were faced with a dilemma. What were we to do to dissolve our, our uh, council or our committee or take a giant step of faith and, and uh, become a, a fellowship, um, a 501c3 type organization. And um, we did that We uh, against a lot of people's advice. It just, uh, um, but we just felt like uh, we needed to have a voice and, and uh, lend credibility for our native people in North America. You know, 579 tribes in, in the United States and 634 uh, governments or bands in, in Canada, and we're don't we're not reflective of all those people, but um, at least we have a presence at the table. And um, uh, now, what happened is uh, the North American Mission Board got some flack about doing away with that position. So they approached our organization about becoming partnered with them. And so we did. And um, we, um, uh, it's a non-salaried position. Uh, our whole uh, purpose was to start a, a native fellowship that was uh, designed uh, uh, targeting native people support. Um, we didn't have a hard type um, you know, crusade or petitioning for help, but uh, we just told people what we were doing, and and by the grace of God, some of our people, some of our strongest supporters come from the uh, Pembroke, North Carolina, the Burnt Swamp Baptist Association, and uh, but people, you know, there are some people who gave, you know, just fifty dollars, and we appreciated that certainly, or you know, hundred dollars or whatever they could do, and. Again, we never put no number out there, but they they, they came across and supporting us. And we've been in existence. This is our ninth year, and um, we uh, we do what we can um, to do ministry across you know North America, and sometimes very limited in the in what we can accomplish. Other than, but what we do is uh, I do have done some coaching uh, for, to uh, in Wyoming and Cal uh, California to young men who are doing ministry and doing coaching, you know, long distance. And um, that's really worked out well. Um, they uh, uh, sometimes I get asked to uh, speak to churches or organizations something similar to this to be able to kind of give light to uh what you know 
the needs are. And that's one of the things that we do is try to help raise awareness of the spiritual needs and, uh, of Native people and the educate people of the need of becoming, um, to understand Native worldview and culture, because a lot of well-intended people have done a lot of things that really have damaged the ministry. And that uh, they have, instead of going and seeing what God is doing, like Dr. Blackaby says, experiencing God, to see what God is doing with people and then join God, a lot of people go and do things for the people in a sense that, uh, and it has kind of built within some of our people the idea that, um, you know, that they they can't do it. They, they're... Uh, I pastored a church in New Mexico among the Pueblo people, and I had some people in our church that were, uh, uh, they weren't dummies. I mean, we had a nurse practitioner and I had a, a lady work with Indian Health Service, uh, BIA, and uh, somebody worked in the forestry department, and a number of uh, professional type people. And, uh, and when I first got there, they they told me, they, they said, Pastor, we forgot to tell you that we're going to have six different mission teams come this summer i said no that's not going to happen and they <laughs> said well, we've always had a number of mission teams come and uh we and i said why do you do that it's well because uh, that's just the way we've always done it and we uh we rely upon them to do our vacation bible schools and things and i said we can do that and that was a whole new concept for them but um God blessed that effort, and uh, they they really stepped up. And uh, not uh, the year following, they not only did their own, but they did a. I went to another pueblo and uh, did their vacation Bible school, which had never been done before. And uh, that's the sort of thing we're trying to get people to become owners of the gospel. And um, uh, certainly, partnerships are very key to helping and. And, and many different facets of ministry, but to try to get people to understand that God, uh, you know, he equips people uh, that he calls and that, you know, and um, we want, to, want them to become those, you know, the self-propagating type uh, functioning church, a healthy church. And um, so uh, worldview, a lot of times people just, uh, um, they, have again unintentionally done some things that caused people to set back uh, ministry. Uh, sometimes uh, people are out driven, they're driven by number and uh, number of uh, evangelistic uh, prospects or people that they've seen one. Uh, I was in a reservation once and I asked a young man, I said, do you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And he said, oh, I've been saved three times this summer. And um, the, the, the thing about it is, it's funny in the sense that we, you know, certainly came saved three times, period. But um, the sadness of it is that uh, people were looking for a photo opportunity to carry back something back to their church and say, look, wow. this young man here was saved. And, and uh, but they had a number of people that did that. Right. And so... Um, again, like to uh, discover and assist and encourage Native leaders, uh, we find people we, we try to help and, uh, and then networking to help develop those uh, ministry partnerships. Yeah. 
a minute ago, you made the comment of um, in the past, there being a lot of well-intentioned uh, people, um, you know, reaching out to try and help Native Americans, Native American believers, Native American churches that have actually caused harm. And so I, I just kind of want to use that to segue into the next um next thing that I wanted to talk about was just in how we came in contact with each other. Uh, for many years, we as a church have been working with a couple of Navajo pastors out in Arizona. And then in the last uh, couple of years, we came in contact with Indian Bible College. And, and just uh, for the first time, had contact with an organization or an institution that was working, you know, to equip to educate Native Americans to return and, and, and you know, reach, evangelize, and disciple. Um, and so after meeting with IBC for the first time, I, I became curious and wondered, you know, I wonder, I wonder if there's more organizations or institutions like IBC that we could, you know, interact with. And so I began to do a search online and found some other you know, kind of like Bible schools, Bible institutes um, for Native Americans, but uh, just about all of them were either assembly of God or they were charismatic. Um, but then in my search, your name came up um, and, it, and it still had you connected uh, with NAM, uh, North American Mission Board. And so then I, um, your email address was there and <laughs> So I, I uh, sent you an email uh, telling you who we were and how we believe God was leading us and what our desire was and if it'd be possible to, to, to connect. And so I'm just, I'm kind of curious to know what was your thought, you know, re receiving this email out of the blue from this, you know, Anglo church, you know, knowing the history of the Anglo church and, you know, like you said, well-intentioned you know, desiring to help, but causing harm. Um, just kind of curious to know what your initial thoughts were. You know, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have received a number of uh, calls similar to that, but the difference that, that um, with your call was the fact that you were, had uh, information, you know, that you were informed of, you know, and, and being a part of new tribes and uh, Ethnos 360, and um, the um, and the, the realization that you guys, your church, had been involved with all the countries that you're involved with, and and I've always had felt like the North American Mission Board had um, really missed out and, and doing ministry to the native people by trying to have a one size fits all as opposed to the approach of the international uh you know that how that they um that you guys don't go to new guinea in the same approach to africa let's say or wherever they you know there's uh, the the things of worldview issues and native american people there's you know the 565 50, 567 nations, uh, many people don't realize that there's such a, a diversity of and uniqueness of the tribes and language and, uh, you know, the geographic location and, 
educational backgrounds and um, there's just a world of differences and um, uh, understanding worldview has been something that I've been uh, putting my heart into for the last probably uh, 10 to 15 years, probably closer to 15 years. And, uh, and uh, I'd met Jeff Ryder, you know, who was formerly with the uh, uh, New Tribes. And um, uh, in fact, he even came to Oklahoma and we spent some time together and, um, and we, we gelled real well as far as, you know, how that his view was. And so I just, um, had no problem talking with you and uh, uh, because I knew you had a different approach uh, mm-hmm. to ministry. Yeah. So you have, uh, you've, you've pastored in um, Montana, right? Yes. Blackfeet. Uh, okay. And New Mexico. And among the Pueblos, Northern uh-huh. Pueblos. Yes. Uh, you've you've been out to Arizona. You've vi- you've visited ministries out there. Yeah. Uh, you've been to South Dakota. Yes. Uh, you've been to Alaska. Yes, three times, three or four times, and I've stayed out there once, two months, uh, working out there with uh, just kind of exploring mm-hmm. and trying to identify a place to plant uh, a church and trying to identify some people that what we call a person of peace um, and uh, trying to make some contacts. But uh-huh. during, uh, again, I didn't understand the, uh, their worldview of, of subsistence lifestyle where um, they, in the summer months, unless you go to the riverbank, to the riverside, to their, their fish camps and stuff, you're not going to make a lot of contacts with people that would be interested because wow. they their subsistence lifestyle. They, they fish all summer and then mm-hmm. in fall comes and they hunt and things like that. And their lifestyle is so different. Wow. Good people. And, and then I worked with uh, uh, the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma as a missionary to um, the Eastern uh, the eastern side of Oklahoma uh, among the tribes. There's 39 tribes here in Oklahoma and uh, uh, working with them, helping them trying to just do church plants and then also pastored among the central tribes of Shawnee, Kickapoo, Second Fox, Pottawatomies in, in uh, Shawnee, Oklahoma for 11 years. Wow. <laughs> and then out east, you've You've probably you've been to the Cherokee. Uh, the, there's a Cherokee reservation in South Carolina or North Carolina. North Carolina and the Lumbees and there's a five tribes in the Pembroke, North Carolina that uh, mm-hmm. they are caught part of a burnt swamp Baptist association, mm-hmm. and they're real fine people. And um, I've been out there numerous times preaching and teaching and mm-hmm. attending some of their meetings as well. But uh, uh, I've, I've tried, by the grace of God, you know, to everywhere I go to try to learn a bit about people, about tribal people, especially. Hmm. And in uh, um, it, and when we try to develop resources or try to minister, then we uh, we try to research to 
much like you would in researching people groups where we're mm-hmm. trying to do ministry. Yeah. So you've you've your experience. Um, you have a vast experience and um, and just in Native American ministries and locations and among different groups in different states, um, different backgrounds. So from your perspective, how, how would you describe in general the state of the Native American church? Probably, uh, uh, probably two-thirds of the um, churches, Southern, uh, the Baptist churches, uh, most, uh, mostly Protestant. You know, we don't have very many. We have Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches, but the Baptist is a, is a predominant uh, minister, uh, denomination that's ministering among Native people. Mm-hmm. And uh, two-thirds, uh, somewhere, on, it's approximately two-thirds of all the churches that minister to Native people are in two states. While there are Native people in every state of, of, of the United States. And um, so um, it's very disproportionate in uh, there's places like Minnesota, Wisconsin, or California, or Dakotas, or Montana, uh, a lot of places where they have a lot of needs. Um, and people look toward Oklahoma for uh, resources and look for Oklahoma. They think, we've well, got all these churches, so you must have a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers. But a lot of the churches in Oklahoma are, you know, are 100 years old, 100 plus years old. And um, the, uh, a lot of the pastors are uh, you know, like 65, 65 years old. And um, we probably have in Oklahoma, probably, uh, I can only think uh, maybe uh, two or three full-time ministers um, that rely, get their resources from within the church. Uh, we have a number of bivocational pastors, and uh, we have a number of churches without pastors. And uh, but some of the biggest need I think would be uh, seeing some of our young men brought up, uh, surrendering ministry, and and then uh, resourcing them by educate, educating them, not necessarily through seminary uh, trained. Uh, I don't have seminary education. I I don't begrudge anybody that does. Um, um, you know, some of our guys that have served on our board have doctorates and um, um, like that. But uh, uh, but the thing is that I tried that, and and it seemed as if the the seminary that I was attending uh, that they were trying to uh, produce um, pastors for um, county seat churches um, with red brick and white columns. And uh, I didn't fit that mold and I didn't desire to fit that. And uh, um, so my heart's always been for native people. And I know our native people, uh, although we have a lot of native people now, there are doctors and attorneys and things like that. Uh, very educated, some very educated people. It's still yet, the things that plague our people, um, you know, are just kind of where the rubber meets the road, and, uh, and so that's basically where I'm at. Just kind of a the base guy. Yeah. Base level. So, 
Yeah. Until, so until we came in contact with you um, and, and some of the pastors that you brought us into contact with uh, a week or so ago, um, you know, our experience among Native Americans was just, you know, very, very small, uh, just, you know, one main area out in uh, Arizona among the Navajo. Uh, our, our perspective of the of the churches out there is that um, the church is very legalistic um, and not doing not doing a good job of reaching the next generation. And so how would you say that compares to just the Native American churches in general and all the places you've been? It seems like on most reservations or, or pioneer work areas that due to the influx of Pentecostalism, and I'm not speaking ill against them, but there's a lot of um, uh, works-based type uh, um, denominations on our reservations. And um, uh, that is, uh, legalism is really uh, prevalent among our people, especially in the harder to reach places. Now, and, and then uh, people now have gone to the other extreme in a lot of uh, more populated places or more cities that have tried to become more um, relevant to the culture and in, and in, and in process sacrificing um, scriptural truth. Mm. And um, that's, um, and that, that's just as wrong. Yeah. And, and so we're trying to find balance and trying to become relevant to culture, but remain faithful to the scripture. Yeah. Um, uh, the people who, the early missionaries, especially ministering to Native people, had uh, content, uh, maybe misapplied content um, uh, through legalism and um, uh, just set of rules and regulations. And um, they, um, they really uh, missed out on and seeing a number of people brought to Christ that uh, were suffering from a lot of a lot of issues. Our native people face a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the way I've heard it described is in the past, um, the missionaries were trying to make Christians of the Native Americans by making them into white people. Would you, would you agree with that? That was kind of the approach. Even today, you know, when I worked with the Baptist Convention of Oklahoma, uh, when I would approach directors of missions or people who were decision makers and sit across the table, a desk from someone with a young church planter, uh, uh, the, sometimes the response would be, Gary, why do we need a uh, Native congregation? Why don't they come to our church? They work around us. They live around us. They they speak English, and uh, you know, and on it goes. And my my answer to them was always, "Why is there a First Baptist and Second Baptist and Calvary Baptist and South Side and North Side?" <laughs> I said, "Why? Why don't you guys just have one gigantic church?" And and uh, and but it, it, I'm not trying to be smart with them. I guess maybe not, but. <laughs> But it caused them to think, well, I had one guy come back. He said, well, Gary, because there's difference in worship styles. 
and there's differences and and uh you know songs you know the worship styles and then there's differences in uh you know some people like you know liturgy and some people like just uh emotional and and, and i said you know that's the same with native people um and what we have with our church is called a pan indian and a pan just like being a universal in the sense a universal application where um, we have people who we have uh, people in our congregation this for example we have people who are um uh you know who are maybe welfare recipients or we have people who are we have a lady that's a nurse practitioner we've had an attorney in our church and uh we have uh, choctaws and cherokees and creeks and just all kind of different tribes and but the thing that unites us is the fact that we're native and that uh we all have people uh, family or friends that are native that are struggling and then some of the people that we have are struggling with and uh and so we're trying uh we we want to make an atmosphere conducive to people that even if they're not na non-native that they'd feel comfortable being a part of us and uh, and uh, that's you know people ask me sometimes can a uh, non-native come to church we welcome non-natives we we welcome internationals with anything like that you know but but there again, you know, you need to be prepared for, uh, like one guy one time at Baptist, when I worked with the Baptist Convention, he said, I believe that the church is for everybody. And and, uh, and I said, I do too. And, um, and um, he said, I don't believe in like uh, native churches. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I said, it's not that we're trying to be uh, just, exclusive uh are all inclusive we want to just want native people to know that there's some somebody out there that wants to try to help them and i said in your approach to how you what you've said you know uh, if you're going to try to minister to the whole everybody in the city i said how do you have people that are ministering through uh um, you know, to the deaf ministry or to the to the blind or the people who are in wheelchairs. Do you do yeah. you minister to, to non non English speaking people, and do you provide rides for people who don't have vehicles? Or and on it goes. You know, and and uh, it sounds good. It sounds good as a cliche, mm -hmm. but people need to understand that you know uh, uh, we have we have to back up what we say about who we're trying, what we're trying to do, the mission we're trying, because we we're accountable for it, you know, and, and uh, I, that's, I guess that's all I should say about that. Yeah. Amen. No, that's great. So we, um, uh, let's see, I, I sent you that first email. Uh, it was a couple of years ago now. And then, you, you called me in response. I was on a trip to Malawi and we talked for a while. Then we had some correspondence uh, back and forth, a couple more phone calls, and then COVID hit and uh, kind of um, put the kibosh on things. Um, and then this past winter, 
I uh, reached out to you to see if we could actually come and meet you, uh, come come to Oklahoma and and meet up in person. And uh, you graciously, you know, welcomed us and uh, hosted us there for three days or so, and just to try and get a feel for what you've been doing and and uh, try and lay out for you what. Um, you know, what we're doing, uh, how, how God is leading us to work, uh, you know, with the church all around the world and, and uh, what, what we believe, you know, God is leading us to do among Native Americans and, and mainly, you know, is establish, establish the church uh, through equipping the, the pastors and the church leaders. And, and so then we talked about the possibility of, um, you getting together some key leaders um, that you think would be key individuals for us to uh, possibly begin con contact with. And, um, and we did that last week. You, uh, you hand chose, uh, I think it was seven, seven men from four or five different states uh, to come together. And we met together for uh, about three days. So tell us who those men were, um, what their, uh, what their ministries are, why you, why you chose them and how you felt our time was, uh, together. Well, uh, I certainly, uh, want to send a word of thank you to the church family and to all of you who contributed making that possible and glory to God for that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Jay Wan is uh, probably the one that immediately came to my mind. He is um, half African-American and half uh, Papago, and he has a powerful testimony. But And I visited with him a few months ago, and, and in doing that um, at his location, uh, it was a revisit I had visited before, but uh, he was really down. And uh, when I talked to him about uh, ministry and about coming um, and even actually coming to Oklahoma, um, he was, he first said, I'll have to pray about it, Brother Gary. I'll have to think about that. Uh, so I've been in a lot of conferences and a lot of uh, mission conferences and things like that. And he said, you know, I, I've walked away and I've been the only person with color in my skin and um, I've walked away and uh, think, I hope I don't have to do that again. And, uh, but when I explained to him that we were bringing in people from other reservations and people who were all native doing ministry, he came back and he said, I want to come. I want to come to that. And I spoke with him yesterday accidentally i called him 7 30 at my time i forgot i forgot it was two hours different so he woke up it was 5 30 when i called him and and um and so when i realized that i had to say good morning brother he said it's well uh he said my alarm clock just went off a while ago and he said that uh, you're okay and so we talked and he reaffirmed to me that he was so thankful that uh was able to come and, and take part of that he uh, Jay ministers uh, on an area in an area where 
uh, teenage pregnancies, rampant suicide is a pretty gotten to be a common thing among kids, little kids. Some, you know, uh, I went to a, a place out there one year, uh, several years ago, and at an entry of a church, um, the pastor said a 14-year-old hung himself right here at the entry of the church. And then he said, and he pointed to a tree and to that tree out there, there was, had been like a, thir- I think it was a 13 year old girl that had hung herself mm-hmm. a year previous right there at that tree. And um, they, um, uh, on our reservations, some of them, it's, you know, it's four, you know three, four times the average rate of suicides among teens. Um, and so that's kind of where he comes from. And, and he comes from a place where traditionalism is is a very big time. Uh, his reservation has ninety about ninety miles bordering Mexico border, and uh, it's a place where I heard on a I don't know if it's which uh, TV station they were talking about the border wall, and they talked about. Uh, the reservation, Tom Odom uh, reservation, how that they weren't allowed the entry to entry to put that wall up. And as a result of that, uh, uh, it's become a place, a pickup point for immigrants coming across the border. And he told me, he said, behind that building over there, uh, there's water bottles and there's uh, cans uh, where food was, you know, like with beanie weenie type things and stuff like that you know and where they come and had eaten and there's a so there's no backpack back there and and that's a pickup point and then he, he told about how that their church van someone had tried to had broken into it and tried to hot wire it and just really mangled everything but that's kind of his setting of where he's at and um uh, but the other day just a few days ago, he said he just repeatedly told me how much he really appreciated being able to meet the other guys and, and how thankful he was for the men from Virginia and uh, taking the time and, and the efforts and, and the money. He said, I know that was a costly venture, and I just want to just praise God for that. And this is the best conference I've ever been and uh, really appreciated it. Christian Watchman is a young man who I've known for a few years now, and he's a Navajo man. And uh, he attended a school seminary over at, uh, I think it must have been an independent Baptist seminary in Springfield, Missouri, or a college, Bible college. And um, at any rate, he he come from a background of uh, independent Baptist. And uh, it's like you said, Scott, you know, he was... Uh, and embraced very much legalism, and he left uh, the church and became a part of a Southern Baptist uh, because of that, and uh, he went out to Phoenix to plant a church among the Native people. There's a lot, there's a big population of Native people in Phoenix, Arizona. They always rank in the top five for Native population, but he had some difficulties that arose, and and uh, uh, he had gathered about thirty something people, and uh, anyway, they they shut down. And he felt within himself that he needed some more training or more um, 
leadership development until he found a church that that brought young men uh, through a series of steps to leading them up to uh, ministry and uh, and he's really been growing through that but he uh, he sent an email and I think you may have got it too where he said he applied the teachings of grace uh, to someone uh, to two people out there in Phoenix that had some kind of issue that he, had, he he was talking to them about. And then Chris Little is a man from Oklahoma who married uh, uh, a Lakota Sioux lady from Lower Brule, Lower Brule um, Reservation in, in South Dakota, Lakota people. Um, and I wanted him to come because I met him a few years ago and I was preaching in Webster, South Dakota. And I was impressed with him, the fact that he was willing to go and and without support and how that he became very self-supportive and um, worked. Uh, and then he worked at a boys and girls club, but then uh, he, he uh, had a lot of problems with that in that the tribal members didn't want him as an outside member uh, teaching their children. And so basically they had him uh, through political ways had gotten him released from that position. But God provided him, a, a, you know, before he went out there, he was a, a, um, had owned a company, a drywall company, and he was a, a carpenter. And so um, he, uh, he worked, he's working out there and, and heading up a construction company for their for their tribe, and so that's been real good. And he's working. I think he has 18 people that he has had employed, but he's teaching them and helping them. And then uh, Elijah Walls is a seminary student entering, I think, his fourth year, and from Midwest Midwestern Seminary out at Kansas City, and. Um, uh, Elijah is a very intelligent young man and um, uh, very polite, very uh, sensitive man. And, um, but he wants to learn about Native ministry. And he asked last year about coming and spending the summer with us in Oklahoma, either myself, our church, or uh, and I hooked him up with Junior Pratt. And uh, anyway, and uh, we're going to utilize him through going to uh, various uh, tribal uh, church camps. Uh, I'll be among the Choctaws and Chickasaws. He'll be down there with me, and, and I think they've got him with the Navajo. Nav I mean, with the Pueblo, the Oto, and the um, Pawnee, and um, Iowa tribe. Mm. So he'll be working with them. Then Josh Leading Fox, you know, there uh, he's Pawnee as well, and he is in uh, Immokalee, Florida, and his issues are different than the other guys. Uh, the Florida Seminoles, they have a lot of money from gaming. They're a small tribe with big casinos, and uh, and so a lot of profit sharing, and so therein there's a lot of issues uh just reverse of like where these other guys are um and sadly they're seeing that 
Uh, I mean, even though they have plenty, they're seeing that their problems are still the same, alcohol and drugs and suicide and things like that. And so Josh was very open to hearing um, about what you had to say and things like that. And, and then uh, Jordan, you know, he didn't get to attend all that he wanted to, but Jordan is the second chief uh, for the uh, Pawnee tribe. And uh, he is um, like the vice president, but he's a young man who also serves as chairman of our phonak board. And I was wanting him to be there as much as he could. And then Junior Pratt was, he also is a Pawnee and uh, um, he is, he's discipling some young uh, uh, ministers, about five of them. And so he's, uh, I was hoping him for him to be there um, to, to learn more about that. Anyway, that's the guys, and I appreciate uh, they all. <laughs> they all were really thankful for you guys. Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome for us. It was uh, really really encouraging, and again, we really really appreciated your willingness to take a risk and <laughs> gather these guys together and uh, allow us to come down and and spend that time. And um, Lord willing, we're we're praying about opportunities now to actually go and visit each of them in their locations. Um, it'd just be really helpful to be able to see their ministries firsthand and see what they have going on and that kind of thing. And just spend some more time together in the word. Um, and, uh, and just seeing, you know, how God continues to knit our spirits together and, and, um, and, uh, you know, and connect us and, um, and so, um, Gary, again, we just really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and uh, give our folks, introduce yourself to our folks and, and uh, you know, give this overview of, of what we've been doing together. Um, uh, you know, all of our listeners, um, we would just really ask you to just be praying just for God's leading and, and direction. Um, Again, our, our only desire in all of this is just to, you know, equip pastors, equip church leaders who can effectively establish their people in the faith and so that their, their churches can truly live and function according to God's call and design uh, rather than continuing to rely on outsiders to come and do the work of the ministry for them. And, um, you know, we believe that um, well-established firm in the faith bodies of believers are the best ones to reach the people in their cultural context, um, you know, regarding both regarding evangelism and, and discipleship and, and, um, you know, just everywhere we've been, you've alluded to it too. Um, it sounds like everywhere you've been, um, just the problems and the, the devastation, you know, that exists among Native American people, just the substance abuse and the suicide, just, the, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's just, you know, it just reveals the hopelessness that they feel. And, and when you just think about, you know, the finished work of Christ and all that we have in Christ, um, 
the hope, you know, that we have and, uh, you know, just the things that he has in store for us, you know, it says in Corinthians, it says that the things that he has in stores for those that loved him, it says that love him, it says, no, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it ever entered the heart of man what it's like, right? You know, and you just think of, you know, from the day of Pentecost until now, how many millions of Christians have sat and just contemplated what heaven is like, and yet, it's so beyond our comprehension. It's going to be so magnificent that is, that is yet, you know, has never, never even entered the heart of heart of man. And, and you just, you know, these people and their hopelessness, oh, I just, just long for, uh, to see an established church grounded in grace and the finished work of Christ. That's just unpacking these truths for people and just, um, you know, taking them from that place of hopelessness to this place of unbelievable hope, <laughs> unbelievable eternal hope. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what we're after. And, um, and so we'll just continue to pray and, and, uh, and uh, look to the Lord for his leading and guides and direction in it. Amen. So thank you, Gary. And thank you all for tuning in. And, um, Larry, uh, Gary, we will we will be in touch again soon. God bless you, and uh, thanks again. And uh, from all different kinds of ways of saying it, we'd say Mado in Creek or Wado in Cherokee or Aho in uh, the Navajo, and that just all the different tribes have different ways of expressing gratitude. And uh, they uh, the Kiowas would go like this, and they cross themselves like that. Then they touch your your chest, saying like, "My heart, your heart." Thank you. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> we'll see, you, brother. God bless you too. Thank you. Right, bye.